Blessed be our God, now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we pray you graciously to behold this your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and given into the hands of sinners and to suffer death upon the cross, who now lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from Isaiah. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The word of the Lord.
A reading from Hebrews. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, he then added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for him that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified." And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts, I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the, con the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see, the day drawing near. The word of the Lord. When Jesus had spoken these things, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And then Jesus, 
knowing that all would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And so he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. And so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. And then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servants and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And are so far from my cry and from the words of my distress. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not answer. By night as well, but I find no rest. Yet you are the Holy One, enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Our forefathers put their trust in you, They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried out to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not put to shame. And so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. And it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did the other disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door, So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. And the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of his, this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews came to come together. And I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. 
And when he said these things, one of the officers standing struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is this how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You are also not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. But as for me, I am a worm and no man, scorned by all and despised by the people. All who see me laugh me to scorn. They curl their lips and wag their heads, saying, He trusted in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him if he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me out of the womb and kept me safe upon my mother's breast. I have been entrusted to you ever since I was born. You were my God when I was still in my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's quarter. And it was early morning, and they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. And so Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have come fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, 
what is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Many young bulls encircle me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their jaws at me, like a ravening and roaming lion. I am poured out like water, all my bones are out of joint. My heart within my breast is melting wax. My mouth is dried out like a potsherd, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And you have laid me in the dust of the grave. Packs of dogs close me in, and gangs of evildoers circle around me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And so Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the just judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of the preparation of the Passover, 
and it was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. And so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Please stand. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to a place called the Place of a Skull, which is an Aramaic called Golgotha. And there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. And Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, and Latin, and in Greek. And so the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write, King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the King of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and they divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier and also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. And so they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill what the scripture says. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. They cast lots for my clothing. Be not far away, O Lord. You are my strength. Hasten to help me. Save me from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, my wretched body from the horns of wild bulls. I will declare to your name, to my brethren, in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clovis, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, 
I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there, and so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. And so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. And he who saw this bore witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you might believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Praise the Lord, you that fear him, standing on him, O offspring of Israel. For he does not despise nor abhor in their poverty, neither does he hide his face from them. But when they cry to him, he hears them. My praises of him in the great assembly. I will perform my vows in the presence of those who worship him. The poor shall be eaten satisfied, and those who seek the Lord shall praise him. May your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall bow before him. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. To him alone who sleep in the earth bow down in worship. All who go down to the dust fall before him. My soul shall live for him, my descendants shall serve him. They shall be known as the Lord's forever. They shall come and make known to a people yet unborn the saving deeds that he has done. You can be seated. Thank you for being with us tonight for um, our Good Friday service. It's just um, so good to see you all and to see uh, so many different ages uh, represented tonight. So thank you, uh, families, um, for bringing all ages uh, uh, with us as we celebrate together um, and give thanks for our Lord's um, death for us. It's a tradition at Church of the Cross and, and many churches 
um, on the Good Friday service to always include the song, Sing My Tongue, The Glorious Battle, which we'll sing in a little bit. And this uh, song um, covers uh, one of the many images and themes that describe what is happening as Jesus dies on the cross, that there is a battle happening, that a war is being waged through His crucifixion. And if that's the case, we can ask the question, well, who is this battle between? At first glance, when we hear the Passion reading, whether it's from John, which we heard tonight, or Matthew, Luke, or Mark, we can um, perhaps assume that the enemy, the, the battle, must be against the religious leaders and Pontius Pilate and the Roman soldiers and the crowds and Judas. If we were to write a report on the Passion readings in the Gospels and were to ask, where do you see the enemies? That would be the obvious answer. These are the enemies, the people who opposed Jesus. But if these are the enemies, then we should all be very concerned. Because in them, we see glimpses of ourselves, and maybe even more than glimpses. Another tradition often at Good Friday services is when the Passion reading um, is read, the congregation is invited to basically play the part of the crowds, um, to be the ones who shout out, crucify him. It's not a subtle message um, that uh, we play a role, right? It's our sins that put... Um, that um, Christ went to the cross to pay for. It's a reminder that while we may not literally cry out for the crucifixion of Jesus, right, that all of us at times turn away from Him, we betray Him with our words, with our actions, with our thoughts. All of us perhaps at times are like Pontius Pilate and we sarcastically ask, what is truth? All of us know moments Perhaps or we think we don't want a Messiah like Jesus. We would rather have a different type of Savior. Our Passion reading ends with the quote from the prophet Zechariah, they will look on Him whom they have pierced. And we can hear that and we can say yes. Right? As we look at Jesus, as we look at the cross, we have to say there are ways in which my sins pierced Him. But even as we consider that, verse from the prophet Zechariah. Actually, if you read in Zechariah just a few verses after that, we have this prophecy. On that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. There is the promise of cleansing. There's a promise of a fountain, a fountain filled with blood, right, as the old hymn says, that there will be cleansing. And so this tells us, no, Right? The Roman soldiers, Pontius Pilate, the crowds, the religious leaders, those are the ones whom Jesus came to save. Those are the ones whom he's battling for. Right? They are not the enemies. They're the ones he's coming to save from the enemies. But who then are the enemies in this battle, in this war? The book of Colossians in the second chapter, verses 13 through 15, it says this, "'You who were dead in your trespasses,' And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. These he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So there's one enemy, right? Basically the list of all of our sins, of all of our trespasses. The record of debt has been treated like an enemy and it is nailed to the cross. 
through the death of Jesus. But then the next verse says this, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, or that can be translated by triumphing over them in the cross, the rulers and authorities, right? They are the enemies. Who are these rulers and authorities? Well, it's always helpful when Paul, the apostle Paul uses a certain term to look, where else is that term used to help us understand what it means? In Ephesians 6 and in other places, we hear this about the rulers and authorities. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's these spiritual forces of evil who are disarmed at the cross, who are defeated at the cross. What does it mean that the cosmic powers over this present darkness are disarmed? What does it mean that the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places are disarmed? Well, we know from our Ephesians reading, it does not mean that they don't continue to attack the people of God. It doesn't mean that they no longer exist, that they aren't a source for evil, for trouble, and for pain in this world. But it does mean that they are defeated. When I think of a disarmed enemy continuing to cause great trouble, I think of a criminal who's been right, taken in, whose gun has been removed from him, but who continues to kick and to flail, or who continues basically to um, deny um, that um, he has been arrested, that he has been taken captive, who continues to fight back. That is our battle. We have an enemy, and we need to be clear on that. And our enemy is defeated. We need to be clear on that. And one of the many ways that the cross of Jesus, that the death of Jesus disarms the enemies, the rulers and authorities, is it shines a light on the lies of devil, the lies of demonic forces, and shows them to be lies. It reveals their lies as lies. Jesus tells us in the book of John, in a few chapters before the Passion that we just heard, he says of the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Right from the beginning, we see the lies of the devil, the lies of the serpent. We see he is a murderer from the beginning. When he says to Adam and Eve, you will not surely die if you eat the forbidden fruit. And they learned, right? They realized the wages of sin is death. He lied. Jesus, though, says of himself, for this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. He bears witness to the truth through his words. He bears witness to the truth through his death on the cross. And again, the lies are exposed. Satan lies to us and he says, be afraid. You should be afraid. You should be afraid of death and all that goes with death, of decay, right? of growing old, of falling apart, of this world of loss. You should be afraid because you're going to die. And at the cross, we see death is an enemy. Right? That is another defeated enemy. We see how powerful death is at the cross. Right? We remember Jesus crying at the tomb of Lazarus. When he came to his friend Lazarus' tomb, 
Right? When he was there next to Martha and Mary, he cried in the presence of death. Right? He didn't say to those mourning there, get over it. Come on, people die all the time. It's no big deal. No, he wept in the presence of death. Right? But then he spoke, of course, and said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. Right? He could speak life. But we see the one who could speak life dying upon the cross. We see the power of death. But in his death, he comes against our fear of death because in his death, he defeats death. Hear these words from the second chapter of Hebrews. Since therefore the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. He took on himself a mortal body, a body that could die that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. It's very clear in the book of Hebrews. He delivers us from the slavery of the fear of death through his death. In the face of the fear of death, Jesus doesn't just say to us, hey, look at the bright side. Hey, ignore that death thing. You know, don't worry about it. Think, of, think positive thoughts. Be happy. He comes against death. He defeats death. And so we can look at the cross of Jesus and the work of Jesus, and we can say, yes, I am going to die unless the Lord comes, comes again before I do. But on the other side of death is Jesus. And there is a new creation coming. I know I'm veering into Easter here, right? But we can't talk about the fear of death without remembering the resurrection. And we don't have to be afraid. In the power of the cross, we stand against the lies of Satan who tells us to be afraid, who wakes us in the middle of the night to tell us to be afraid because we look at the cross and the work of Jesus. The devil lies and he says, you are condemned. He is the accuser. He, is, he will find all sorts of accusations to throw at us, and, and usually there are all sorts of accusations that he can throw at us. The accusations that we hear from spiritual forces of darkness hurt, they sting, they are fiery darts because there's an element of truth in them. Your sins are many, and we have to say that's true. They deserve punishment from a holy God, and we can say, yes, that's true. Sin leads to death, and we can say, yes. That is true. Therefore, you are condemned. And we say, no, no, we're not condemned. In the Nicene Creed, which we say most every Sunday, we affirm it was for our sake that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. I love the creed. I love saying the creed. But I will admit at times when we come to that part in the creed, I want more. Right? I want more poetic language, I want more theological language, I want more dramatic language, right? For our sake, I want it to be for our loss to condemn souls, for our eternal hope, for the devices and desires of our hearts, great um, prayer book language, for the propitiation of our sins, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. And yet there's a simplicity, right, and for our sake, right? It's good. I would encourage you to ponder all the deep theological meaning of the atonement of Jesus giving his life for us. What happened there, right? Books have been written, and they're good, many good books worth reading on what the death of Jesus means. But first and foremost, when we ask the question, why was Jesus crucified? The answer we need to hear is, for you, for you, for your sake. 
Pete brought that home so beautifully last night, is for us. And again, when we say the creed, it's important, I believe, that we say it in the, the first person plural. Right? We're saying we believe this. It was for our sake. It was for us and for our salvation. We are confessing together as a people. We're saying together as a community, this is what we believe. This is what he did for us. But I just want to give you permission. Every once in a while, maybe quietly to yourself when you say the creed, make it first person singular. Say, for me and for my salvation, he came down from heaven. For my sake, he was crucified upon the cross. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Because again, one of the lies that Satan will tell us is Jesus died for someone's sins, but not for yours. I've known Christians who have been Christians for a long time who fall into that lie, who know that no one is beyond the saving power of Jesus. And yet they can start to believe, well, maybe I am. Satan actually takes the pride that he, he seeks to build up in us, and then he uses it as against us and says, you're exceptional. Or you're exceptional and that God can't do anything with you. You're exceptional and that you're irredeemable. But we, right, seek to let go of that pride. And like the dying thief next to Jesus, right, we can turn to him and we can just say, Lord, remember me. I don't remember my sins, but remember me when you come into your kingdom. And we know that Jesus will answer, right? You will be with me in paradise. Right? We are not condemned. That is a lie. Satan and the spiritual forces of evil lie to us, and they say, God is not to be trusted. And again, we see this right from the beginning. Did he really say, the serpent asked, did he really say that? Can you really trust him? And we hear questions as we face temptation, as we struggle in our faith from the spiritual forces that come against us. Would a loving God really allow you to suffer as much as you've suffered? Would a kind and gentle God really ask you to do so much, to give up so much as one of his disciples? Would a God of freedom so limit you in what you can do and what you can't do? Would a steadfast God really be so inconsistent? Would a God of justice allow so much injustice in this world? Would a transcendent and holy God really listen to your weak prayers? These are the lies of Satan. As with Adam and Eve, right? Satan seeks to convince us not just of the untrustworthiness of God, but of actually our superiority to God. Satan seeks to convince us, you're smarter. And that's actually sometimes a lie we want to hear. It feels good. You know better than God. Maybe it's subtle. Maybe sometimes it's not so subtle. Right? That commandment, that one you don't really have to obey. No one, no one obeys that. That area of your life, that one you should keep to yourself. Right? Don't, don't invite God into that room in your heart. You, you will regret it. That person that you've decided is your enemy, let them remain your enemy. You don't need to love your enemies. No one really does that. But at the cross, we see not only the sacrificial love, the unfathomable love of God, but we do see so clearly that his ways are beyond our ways. We see so clearly his wisdom is beyond our wisdom. His wisdom puts to shame 
the wisdom of the world. First Corinthians, Paul says this, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it. Once again, the rulers, right? A term he uses a lot. I believe there he's speaking of earthly rulers and spiritual rulers. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. We, in our wisdom, when we look at the cross, we see we're not smarter than God. Who of us would have decided Right, that this is the way that the cosmic powers of evil are defeated. Right, this is the way that people are set free from their sins, that the eternal and almighty God would empty himself and take on the very form of a servant and being found in human form that he would humble himself even further by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death and the cross. Right, who of us would have figured that out? Who of us would have said, this is the way of victory, that death defeats death? The way of salvation is for the Savior to suffer and die a shameful death, to be put to death by the very ones he came to save. Who of us would have said that the people of God will gather around one day and they will give thanks to God by giving thanks for an ancient instrument of torture and death? That's what we do. 